Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 64. My name is Ronnie, and I'm joined here with my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Voss. Uh, fellas, good to be on with you guys. Before I throw it over to you guys real quick, let me give a quick shout out to our two show sponsors, Paragon Sports, located down on 18th and Broadway here in Manhattan, your premier destination for activewear. Definitely go check them out for your all your running needs, soccer, basketball, baseball, all that equipment. Paragon Sports, located on 18th and Broadway. And our second sponsor, Taqueria 86, located on 94th and Broadway here in Manhattan, an amazing soccer-themed Mexican restaurant. Go check them out for some tacos, rice bowls, burritos, drinks, and give them a follow on Taqueria86NY on Instagram. They're located on 94th and Broadway. Now that that's out the way, Christian Voss, how you guys doing? Good to be on with you guys. It's been a long week. Ronnie, I am super excited to be on this episode, episode 64. I think it's going to be a New York Rebel special, and I can't wait to talk about it, talk about the Derby, talk about everything. Welcome to the Sucker Subs Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you so much to all the listeners. It feels good to say I'm back on the show after a long hiatus. I know we had uh, a little bit of a COVID issue before. We had Ronnie going on his bachelor party. And good to have Christian's energy back. Is all of May. I was having to carry the soccer subs, you know, with the intro. So it's great to have everyone here together, as well as a very special guest and fellow Red Bull family member. And can't wait to discuss the derby from the most recent Hudson River U.S. Open Cup match that we experienced, as well as some MLS news. That's right, Voss. Yeah, and for the MLS fans, episode 64, we got a big show coming up for you guys today. We got a huge guest coming up in just a few minutes. He's an MLS player who currently plays for the New England Revolution, wearing number 28 as a defender. He's played for clubs such as the LA Galaxy, the Houston Dynamo, and Inter Miami. Oh, man, we're super excited to be joined by Mr. AJ De La Garza. He's coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking with AJ on his career, of course, his historic run with the LA Galaxy, and currently being under Coach Bruce Arena with uh, the New England Revolution. Super excited to talk to AJ. He's coming up in just a few minutes. And we also got a special guest joining us for today's episode. He's the host of the Metro Bulls podcast. His name is Matt Morota. Matt, please say what's up to the fans. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And yeah, man, how are you uh, enjoying uh, being on with us, man? Wow. Let me just say, enjoying it a lot. Love the intro. Big fan of you guys. You guys are kind of the model soccer podcast for a while. Kind of been watching you guys for a long time. And I kind of took a step back for a little bit with recording and whatnot. But I got the invite from Chris and I said, this is an opportunity I cannot pass up. Got to come on here. It's not going <laughs> to not gonna blow the, the fans and the crowd away like all your other high-end, top-caliber guests that you guys bring in. But I'm hoping to do my best. Hoping to do my best. Big <laughs> Red Bull fan. So I'm going to bring that Red Bull energy. Sorry for NYC supporter. The only one here. Sorry. But we're going to get into that. So I'm excited. I'm excited to have a nice little MLS talk, some Red Bulls, NYC. Let's get it going, huh? Yeah. For my NYCFC friends, I'm outnumbered today, but I'm trying to do the best I can. Just before we talk the New York Derby, just some MLS news to get into the, from this past week. The New York Red Bulls beating my NYCFC 3-0 last night in a U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal 3-0. Oh, man, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. 
NYCFC picking up a draw this past weekend as well against the Colorado Rapids. 1-1. That was a heck of a game. Amazing goal by Thales Magno. Interim head coach Nick Cushing still looking for his first win as well from the NYCFC's end. The New York Red Bulls picking up an amazing win this past weekend against, against Toronto FC. 2-0. Bob Bradley's boys. And we didn't get to talk too much about it last episode, but Apple TV and MLS announcing a deal starting next season, 2023, for all the MLS games. That means no blackouts. It's being rumored to be about $2.5 billion for the next 10 years. And something shocking in the U.S. Open Cup, the LA Galaxy were knocked out of the U.S. Open Cup 2-1 against Sacramento Republic. What a game. That's what makes the U.S. Open Cup so special, man. We love seeing those underdogs. We love seeing those USL teams, you know, get some wins on the, on the column. So, Vas, what else did we have on, on news? I know there were some transfers. We had some pretty big international news coming out of uh, MLS this week. I know uh, DC United signed Chilean winger Martin Rodriguez from Turkish side Atlia SK. And they were relegated, so I think there was a release clause that they must have activated that uh, initiated that transfer. And he was on the on the radar of a few Liga Meki sides as well as Colo Colo of Chile. So great pickup from them after they uh, had one of their other transfers fall through in the Hamburg midfielder, Sonny Kittle. So I think he failed the medical, and he was supposed to be their outgoing transfer replacement of Edison Flores, peruano, mi gente, who uh, went to Atlas. So pretty big news for DC, but I think the one news that everyone's been talking about is Columbus Crew breaking their transfer record, spending 10 mil on Chucho Hernandez from Watford, and... Unfortunately, I would have liked to see that Watford striker come to the Red Bulls, not Ashley Fletcher. <laughs> but what can we do? I'm hoping that uh, it's a good pickup from the crew. Thank you so much for that, Vas. And yeah, since we're talking New York Red Bulls, I mean, let's talk the New York Derby from last night. Oh, man, what a game. 3-0, the New York Red Bulls advancing. They'll get the winner of Orlando or Nashville. What are some things you guys think the New York Red Bulls did well last night? And uh, what are some keys that you guys think gave them the W? Well, if I may, I just have to say that we saw a different team from the game that they play against Toronto because I feel like against Toronto, we left a lot of gaps. And defensively yesterday, it was surprising to see how very well coordinated this team was. I mean, every player in this team just knew every single time when to step up, when to read the plays, cut plays, whether it is by technical and tactical ability or by just simply doing a foul. One of those fouls that gets your yellow card but prevents the other team from building up. I mean, it's no surprise that the first shot on goal for New York City FC came in the second half. And it was pretty much a cagey match on the first half. Second match, we saw many different things. I love to see Caceres playing more defensively. I think tactically, he fixed what he didn't do against Toronto in this game. He was positioned every single time, ready to cut play and ready to build up. And I think, you know, you kind of see a little bit of both teams playing their own style. New York City FC tried to maintain possession, but at the same time, they couldn't find ways to break this New York Red Bulls team because we're so bunkered when we needed to be on the midfield, playing on, the, on a high zone against them. We were able to counter them many, many times. And I think it's the ability, the ability of being able to stay connected, stay together, play long balls, play short passes. I mean, I initially thought it was going to be a tough game because we were missing Drew Yearwood. And Drew Yearwood, for me, is a starting player who, if it was up to me, he would be playing every minute of the game. But we got a chance, me and Vaz got a chance to talk to him in the elevator as we were walking into the stadium. 
And he was telling me, look, I'm ready, but just to be safe, I can't play today. I'll be playing on the weekend. So Red Bulls fans, he will be playing against LAFC, I believe. But yeah, one of those things that worry me is not having him on the field. However, I think New York City FC dropped the ball, man. Look, last game against uh, New York City FC, last game against Colorado, the biggest threat for them was Maxi Morales and Thales Magno. And they didn't get a chance to be on on the first half. They came on in the second half and the game was already 1-0. And just when they're about to come in, they get a red card. Thiago Andrade does something stupid, which is headbutt the opposite player in front of the ref. And you cannot get away with that. So it's interesting. Thales Magno was about to be substituting Thiago but Thiago gets the red card, and now you put an interim coach in a tough position to try to do something when they're already down 1-0. So, I mean, we're going to get to touch more points. I know Bas is going to speak on the subject, Matt, as well, but I'll, I'll try to chime in as much. But this was a, just a fantastic display of coordinative defensively and also just being set pieces. That's what the Rebels do best. Aaron Long, uh, amazing, always has been doing that for years. I don't know how you can fall asleep on that, and just players who can react quickly. These players were mentally prepared for this game, and I love that the New Rules came up on top. I think last night it was more of a mentality coming into this match. You're talking this is a quarterfinal match. It's either win or go home. We're at home. NYC fans, I'll, I'll tip my cap to them. The away section was packed, packed. I remember looking over there and was like, oof, if we lose, it's going to be embarrassing because they're going to go nuts right now because there's so many over there. I actually think they outnumbered our supporter section. At least that's what it looked like. So you go into a match like that, and I think it becomes more of a mentality thing. And you could tell the NYC came out and they wanted to play that scrappy style. They wanted to get in the Red Bull space. They wanted to kind of agitate them. And that, that was their approach to this game. And it didn't really work because the Rebels seemed to be the more composed team. And mm -hmm. we saw that just kind of boiling over. We saw this ref. Let's touch on the ref. The ref was calling every minuscule tackle, play, anything. He was on top of it from the start to the finish of that match. So that was not the right ref to kind of play that style for NYC. And then we saw it all kind of boil over with that red card. Once that happened, it was pretty much over for them at that point because they kind of lost their composure and cool. But I want to touch on one player specifically for the Red Bulls. Christian kind of touched on him a little bit. Aaron Long. Aaron Long, I mean, he's kind of been overshadowed a little bit with the uprising of Lucinius, Lewis Morgan, everybody. He has come back from Achilles injury. That's a tough injury to come back from. You wouldn't even know he missed a game last year. He mm -hmm. slotted right back into that back line and he kind of cemented that entire defense, which has been rock solid this season. Rock solid. We got the goalie, Carlos Cornell, playing out of his mind, too. And Aaron Long is just in the middle of everything. And you saw that off that first goal, got the assist to uh, Lewis Morgan and put us on the board, which started off great. Yeah, and even the first minute of the game, I think he gets the first shot. Aaron Long is <laughs> the first shot on target. So I, I agree with you. And yeah, great points with Coronel as well, man. He's been coming up big for this team. I'm really, really excited for what we have this year. Yeah, I have to agree with Matt. Dude, Aaron Long had a much-deserved Man of the Match award at the end of those 90 minutes. Uh, he was all over the field, both defensively and offensively. And it just shows what kind of leader he has. And it still surprises me that U.S. men's national team fans will give him stick for his performances in the red, white, and blue. Like, as if there's maybe only one other good American defender outplaying him right now in Walker Zimmerman, I think, in the league. So... Uh, I needed a touch on that. But on the match front, 
he was, like I said, the leader in defense and the leader in offense in those set pieces. I know Christian touched on that. The importance of the set pieces for the Red Bulls, a team that before the last four to six games weren't making a lot of uh, like opening play shots, so they needed to capitalize on, on trying to get good at set pieces again. And it just a combination of like free-flowing goals and dangerous set-piece play. You got to love to see it. But I think I didn't miss Drew Yearwood as much. I know Frankie Amaya has been a stud. So seeing him slot in right next to uh, Christian Casadas gave me that same hope that unless Keaton Parks played out of his skin and marked Lukinius out of the game, which he tried with like a yellow card within the first 10 minutes, you know, you like try to take him out. Like it's one thing to mark the guy. It's another thing to try to just take his legs out. But I thought that if NYCFC would have any success, it would be through Keaton Parks nullifying the creativity of Lukinias to unlock the Red Bulls attack. And 3-0, you know, it says it itself. I don't think he did a good job. <laughs> but another thing that was interesting to see, I was, uh, we were on the field, we were doing photography, and I was speaking to the gentleman next to me. And in the first 12 minutes, there was like, like eight fouls or something. And I think if the ref, like from that yellow card, I think it could have possibly been a red on Keaton Parks. I think if he would have set the precedent, like, dude, if you guys keep on fouling like this and he just gives that red, it would have been a game that played into NYCFC's favor a little more because you would have seen less fouls and you would have seen more trying to build out of the back. And the Red Bulls, their bread and butter is trying to like force a mistake. So I, I just think that with the way the game went with all those fouls, it worked in the Red Bulls' favor because NYCFC is used to a lot more fluid play. They have the smaller fields, so they can pass around a lot more. They can build out the back, and it's always a danger when you're in Red Bull Arena. Yeah, and, and it goes to say that with the pressing too, that was really, really good uh, last night. I think they coordinated so well, either when they were bunkering or where they were pressing high. They chose their moments well, and I love that. Yeah, they won all the individual, like those one-on-one -on -one battles, those 50-50 battles that you always want to see your team win. They were just getting the best out of NYCFC. And Tolkien, man, I know some people say that, you know, he's not good enough to be a U.S. national team left back or he's not, you know, he's maybe a rookie good season, maybe, you know, sophomore slump. But this kid is a stud, bro. He forced that red card on Tiago. I think he had he just told him, like, what's good, bro? And, like, the guy just got pissed and headbutted him. So I'm like... You love to see stuff like that. And I think he celebrated harder than any of the goal scorers. You know, like you just love to see that enthusiasm. So it just shows the squad is loving, I think, the kind of play that they're having on the field. And Gerhard Schruber is doing something special in this cup run. It's very reminiscent of that 2017 run that we had. And after the match, we got to speak to the legend El Padrino's son on, uh, on the kits. So leading up to the 2017 final, we wore white kits every match except the final against Sporting Kansas City. So mm. I'm hoping our boys just keep on wearing white to the final and we can get a, a U.S. Open Cup trophy at the end of it. And now I, what I want to touch on real fast is do you think we are on a crash course to meet Kansas City again in a rematch for that U.S. Open Cup final? I know I was talking to Christian about it at the game last <laughs> and it Look. Heart going a little bit because I remember that heartbreak in Kansas City. And I'm like, I don't know. It kind of feels like we're just steamrolling into each other again. <laughs> Look, sporting Kansas City's season in the MLS is more than done. They're like, you know, contending for the wooden spoon of the league this year. So the U.S. Open Cup is all they got. So if we do face them in the final, it's not going to be a very easy sporting Kansas City side. They're going to, you know, be going balls to the walls to 
to make the best out of like a pretty bad season, especially under Peter Vermees's uh, standards. But we still got to get through potentially either Orlando or Nashville. Tough and teams. yeah, those are top teams. Like Nashville's defense, even though it kind of is on a slump compared to last year, and Orlando, you know, Oscar Pareja, you know, like he he's got a great squad. It, it, it's still I'm waiting to see who we draw before I'm like we're in the final. But I think if we get to this final, there's no stopping the Rebels from winning it. Now, just to briefly, I know we're going to touch on NYCSC from your side, Ronnie, but just briefly, I think the news came out that the hosting priority will be number one, Orlando and Nashville, either or. So we will be playing away the next game, the semifinal game, whether in Orlando or Nashville. And, you know, Nashville is a really tough place to, to actually get a win or get any points. However, Orlando is too. We did beat them recently, I believe. And I would rather, I guess, play maybe Nashville. I know we talked about Orlando a lot and Pareja. And he's very good in these type of games. And he beat the NYCFC, I think, in a playoff match. He knows how to put the best team on. So I would rather prefer Nashville. All right. And then uh, the second priority is uh, Kansas City, then the New York Rebels, and Sacramento Republic. So if we make it all the way through and Kansas City makes it all the way through, We will be reliving the 2017 finals like we, uh, like we spoke on, Matt. And I don't know, man. I kind of want some revenge. I want something back. That uh, flight back to New York wasn't a nice one. But much the love plane, to, the, to the people. The car ride back to the hotel wasn't a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I had a Snapchat memory because I'm pretty sure it was fairly recently when we played that game in 2017, like about five to six days ago, that I was like, oh, look, Snapchat memory. And it was like me upset on like the cup final loss with like a scarf wrapped around my head, just disappointed. So I'm like, man, if we do get sporting Kansas City, that'd be a great little matchup, great little storyline. But yeah, man, Ronnie, go ahead. Take it, away. take it away. What were some things that you thought New York City FC did, but probably, you know, couldn't work against this Rebels team? Yeah, man, absolutely. I actually had a few notes and just some of the things that I would have personally done different if I was Nick Cushing. I want to start off with number one, our goalie choice, Luis mm. Barraza. He is our second goalie. So to me, I would have 100% started Sean Johnson. Luis Barraza does really well with NYCFC too, playing at Belson Stadium at St. John's. But for a quarterfinal for the U.S. Open Cup, I would not go with the second string goalie. That's number one. Especially, you know, the, when it comes to a quarterfinal, I mean, you're almost there at the finish line. Of course, you got a few games to go, but these games matter. So to me, if I'm Nick Cushing, I would have put in Sean Johnson 100%. Number two, Christian, I know you mentioned it. Maxi Morales and Thales Magno not starting. I get it. You know, they, they started against Colorado Rapids. Nick Cushing's probably thinking, hey, let me rest these guys. Let me bring them in in the second half. But I think if you're trying to go for the cup, you got to go all guns blazing. I was at the game with you guys as well. I mean, when Maxi and, and Thales came in. The, the game changed. Half, the game changed. It was already mm -hmm. too late. And I think for Nick Cushing, I hope it's a learning experience that, you know, you got to have your key players start from the very beginning. Because by the time the 60th minute came around, it's already too late to kind of have that, that impact that you would have wanted. Thales had some almost an immediate impact right away. You know, he balled through some of the defenders. He, I think he drew a couple fouls. But Matt, I'm glad you mentioned it, man. This is a huge mental game, especially when you go up against your rivals. Whichever team wants to send a message, you know, New York is red, New York is blue. These games matter. So to me, Maxi Morales and Thales Mano should have started 100%. And then, of course, the third thing and the most obvious thing, Tiago Andrade getting the red card in the 62nd minute, man. After that, 
it was all downhill from there, man, especially just to match the intensity of the New York Red Bulls. You know, I'm going to tip my hat to where credit's due. Definitely some players that stood out to me from the New York Red Bulls, Aaron Long, Sean Nealis, Tom Edwards were the three defenders that stood out to me. John Tolkien as well doing his thing. And Vas, I, I told you this last week, but, you know, Lewis Morgan has been a stud for you guys. You know, I got to give credit where credit's due. And yeah, I think New York Red Bulls really capitalized on their opportunities because I was looking at the stats. NYCFC definitely had more ball possession, more passes, but it's really all about what you do with the ball when it counts and matters. So those are just my three key points. I know we got a rematch coming up on July 17th next month. So we'll keep an eye on there. I hope this was a huge learning experience for Nick Cushing as he's looking for his first ever win as an interim head coach. Uh, he might be the guy that kind of stays on for the full head coaching job, but I hope these, this, these kind of losses kind of wake up the team and kind of give you that kick in the butt that you need. Yeah, no, no, because I don't know if it's something psychologically. I mean, obviously, they've played each other many times, but in the U.S. Open Cup, now they have played each other three times. And New York City FC hasn't scored a single goal against the New York Rebels. June 2017, I believe, or 4-0. And then the next, the following year was that score. Now we play this one, 3-0. So the, the Rebels have scored eight goals on those three U.S. Open Cup matches. And you have zero goals from New York City FC. I think, like you said, it's just one of those things. Like, you got to prioritize these type of games. I think the Rebels did the mistake when they played that final of not putting Luis Robles in. And uh, the, maybe that could have changed the game, at least defended one goal. I think Barasa did a decent job. But in those rebounds, I think with a bigger body like Sean Johnson, maybe he could have probably gotten into that and he could have probably prevented that first goal. Yeah, absolutely. Just as a quick follow-up to this, both teams, New York Red Bulls got LAFC coming up this Sunday and we got the Philadelphia Union coming up as well on Sunday. Both teams are away. Matt, how you feeling on your upcoming game against LAFC, man? How you feeling? Uh, how confident are you guys feeling for this upcoming weekend? Well, we've, we've kind of shown this season that we're kind of road warriors. It's kind of fallen off a little bit in recent weeks, but I think we'll get back on it. We've shown that we've gotten back on the, the home horse, which is good because that was really just destroying me. Every home match they were losing or drawing, horrible. But I'm feeling pretty good. It's obviously going to be a tough game. LAFC is no slouch. But let me just quickly just boost you up, Ronnie, because we've kind of just been <laughs> shitting on NYC. Look at, the, look at the Eastern Conference standings. Your boys are sitting right at top with two games in hand. So it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom right now. See, your boys are sitting good. I just wanted to, a nice little feel good, pump you back oh, up. Oh, absolutely. A bit. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, this is just strictly U.S. Open Cup. But yeah, MLS, you know, we should focus. Uh, we're still top of the East. Yeah, man, some tough games coming up ahead. Philadelphia Union's not going to be easy. An amazing coach with Jim Curtin. I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, I'll take a draw as a win for that game because I know it's not going to be an easy task. <laughs> But I'm hoping that Cushion gets his first win, especially on the road. So, Fas, how are you feeling against the LAFC coming up this weekend? Look, I, I wasn't on the last episode, and I didn't get to mention how bad of a performance we had, both in Charlotte and in Inter-Miami. But one of the key figures that was missing from those games, I think, was Christian Casares Jr., if memory serves me right. So it just shows his importance on this team when we're playing, whether at home or away. Like, he is a staple in that midfield. And LAFC does have me a little worried, but any time I've thought the Red Bulls are counted out, they always win, man. Like, I thought they were going to lose on penalties yesterday. If you would have really told me, like, what my prediction of the, the game was going to be. Like, I was saying 2-zip just to, like, show face, like, you know, Red Bulls fans in front of the NYCFC fans. But in my mind, I'm like, dude, it's going to be a, a KG match. There was a total of 39 fouls, bro. So at least I got that right. So 
I, I just thought it was going to be like a chippy game. Goes into 120 minutes, penalties. I'd be disappointed, and I'd get home at like 3 a.m. Because I'd probably go out for a beer in Times Square after like, you know, leaving Red Bull Arena like at midnight. See, I would just like to see the Red Bulls get a draw in L.A. That would be ideal. But if I say that, they're going to lose like two zip or something. So I hope they lose just so they can prove me wrong because they've been doing that all season. And my parlays tend to show that. So if Eric was on, you know, he'd have to agree. I think uh, they're one of those teams that just pull results out of their ass. You know, like you count them out and they just surprise, you know, the first team in the East or the first team that's in the league right now in NYCFC, you know, like. Or uh, winning that win streak that we went on to start the season. Like, no one was expecting that. Like, I thought we wouldn't even be in the playoffs picture this year, you know, by the start of the season. So the Red Bulls have been making me look like I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I hope to continue <laughs> to do so if it means that they're successful. Uh, I'm just thinking about that win we got against New England Revolution. Like, that, that should have not happened. That was the glitch in the system. Uh, yeah, literally. Glitch in the <laughs> Matrix, bro. Look, I'm going to be honest. I think the boys have spent a lot of energy these last couple of games and they're traveling. It's a long trip. I won't be surprised if the reserves play get some minutes as well. And I'm totally okay with that. You got to count your games, right? And these type of games are going to be challenging. Uh, maybe play more defensively and not try to just just run out of gas, man. Because even Tom Edwards at the end of the match, at the 70th minute, he was, uh, you know, trying to catch uh, Talis Magda, but he couldn't. He was just following him because it was too much. So uh, maybe the, the reserves can get some minutes. I'll be happy if we get a draw. But all I want right now for the next month is for everyone to be healthy. That's all that matters right now because we have a big semifinal game coming up. As Jehar Struber has said it, as all the people uh, in the staff have said it, this is a direct ticket to go to the Champions League tournament. And I think that should be our focus. But yeah, LAFC has been on fire. I mean, Arango. But yeah, I think LAFC might probably end up with a win. Not to be pessimistic and not to just say, like you, you, like you said, Vas, maybe we just expect the worst and we get the best. But uh, yeah, on the other hand, Philly has been struggling with getting three points and we know they're good but New York City FC would like to kind of like just get back just like you said uh, Matt they have two games in hand they want to stay on the top that's going to help them mentally to stay strong because this was a tough loss I'm pretty sure and especially because they came from a 12th match undefeated streak that the Rebels stopped yesterday night so I'm pretty sure they want to prove to themselves okay that's a that's a mistake that's out the window Let's think what we can do in the next game. So I think they're going to come up with a, a draw as well. I think I'm gonna, they're going to go to Philly. They're going to play well. And yeah, the fight for the top in the Eastern Conference final is going to be a fun thing to watch at the end of the season, just like we did sneak in into the playoffs. Hopefully we do, it, uh, we do get a home match this season. Oh, yeah, thanks, Christian. Yeah, and um, let me just do a quick uh, mention on the MLS standings before we get to AJ De La Garza. Just on the Eastern Conference, we got New York City on top, New York Red Bulls coming in second, Jim Curtin's boys, Philadelphia Union in third, Oscar Pareja, Orlando on fourth, Montreal fifth, New England sixth, and Charlotte seventh. And then in the Western Conference, we got LAFC on top, Real Salt Lake with a notable mention on set in second, Austin FC in third. FC Dallas in fourth, LA Galaxy fifth, Nashville sixth, and Seattle Sounders seventh, surprisingly. But I know they, they had a lot of focus on the, on the Champions League. Just wanted to ask you real quick before we get to AJ, you know, just similar to last week, what's, what's a team to keep an eye out for just from the Eastern Conference to possibly the Western Conference? 
Matt, let me just throw it to you real quick, man. Is if, if there's a team that stands out to you from the Eastern and Western, just to keep an eye out on. For the Eastern, I got uh, Columbus just with that big signing. I think that's going to kind of revitalize that squad. I know they're sitting a little bit lower in that Eastern Conference, but there's still a good amount of season left. I think they could turn around. I think he's going to be a great signing. And flash over to the West. I like Austin. I like Austin a lot. Great fan, great atmosphere, and an awesome owner. Matthew McConaughey out there with the supporters <laughs> going nuts with everyone. How do you not like that or support a club like that? So I always like these new clubs to MLS kind of going on a run and kind of just putting the MLS on uh, on notice a little bit. So I've been talking them up all year. I've been talking them up since preseason. So you guys won't be surprised that I'm mentioning FC Cincinnati. They're in eighth place and they're tied on points with Charlotte. Only three points from fifth place with uh, Montreal and New England, respectively, in fifth and sixth. So the Eastern Conference is incredibly tight. So any of those bottom teams, like Red Bulls are literally just six points outside of a playoff spot. You know, like that's insane. And we're in second. So <laughs> I think it's interesting to see that the, the bottom teams like Cincinnati and Charlotte try to get results this weekend. But on the Western Conference is where I'm most shocked. Seattle did win the Champions League, but they are also in seventh place in the last playoff spot in the West. So I know they're they're known to have late runs in the season to try to get into the playoffs, but I just hope they stay within that line, you know, to make that run because it doesn't look like it. But again, they've never missed them. So I've been proven wrong plenty of times, but it's going to be a too late of a run. Yeah, I think those uh, two, two teams, Cincinnati in the East and Seattle in the West, man. Vaz, if the New York Rebels win the Champions League trophy, they can take a two-year hiatus if they want. I don't care what they oh, do. Oh, bro, I'll retire. Yeah, yeah. you guys don't see me. <laughs> so, I don't blame Seattle for still being on celebrating mode. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that. But uh, I think just, just to touch on, I think also Real Salt Lakes has surprised me this season. Eight wins, four draws, and four losses, and, and fighting against really tough opposition. I think the team is doing pretty well, and I think I heard a uh, people talking i think mls people talking about them and they like the way they play they like the way they attacked and, and they've done a pretty good job trying to create um a strong offense against all these teams so i i'm surprised about them being on top and i can't wait to see them play a little bit more and see how far they can go this year look i don't want to be that guy but when we did an episode way back when or they got the new ownership group i was talking about the success that that team could have because they were coming off of a tumultuous year the year before that they had no idea whether the players are going to still be in this team were they going to play overseas was the team even going to still exist you know like they had no idea what their future was going to hold and they went on that incredible run you know last day of the season they qualify for the playoffs you know then went on to make it to the conference finals and just crazy stuff so i knew going into this year that with ownership right with a coach like paolo mastrani who's a stud in a position that he's not an interim base anymore they were just primed for success second place definitely not what i was expecting but definitely like you know fourth fifth so i was expecting at least them to be in a playoff spot so just insane that they've maintained that level and it's even crazier they've maintained that level without a key figure in Demir Krylock. Because that man, if you look at his entire injury history throughout his entire professional career, he didn't really get injured. Like, from the time he joined uh, Salt Lake, I think he maybe missed, like, a game. So 
it's insane to see that they're still doing this well without him. But Bobby Wood is in the team as well, correct? Oh yeah, Ruben uh, Ruben Rubio and Bobby Wood are studs up front, bro. Justin Miram doing his thing, you know, turning back the, the the clock. Everyone thought that he was like surplus of requirements <laughs> in Atlanta and in Columbus, but you know they've made a name on bringing those kinds of players who are MLS vets or just deemed not good enough and getting the best out of them. And the perfect coach to do that is Apollo yeah. Mastroini. You know, like that guy was scrappy center midfielder, you know, U.S. men's national team legend and Colorado legend, you know, MLS Cup winner with them. So good to see that he's still within the MLS circle and he can inspire this this group of misfits into a second place spot. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. Let's get to our special guest. AJ De La Garza, currently playing for the New England Revolution, wearing number 28 for, as a defender. He plays for the LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo, Inter Miami. And yeah, AJ De La Garza is coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans, we got a special guest joining the show today. He's a professional soccer pro who's played for clubs such as the LA Galaxy, the Houston Dynamo, and Inter Miami. He's also represented the Guam national team in World Cup qualifiers, and he wears number 28 as a defender for the New England Revolution, the reigning MLS Supporter Shield champs. Let's please give a warm welcome to Mr. AJ De La Garza. Bravo, AJ. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. AJ, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, we always say it. We know you guys are always busy and got a lot going on. It means a lot you taking the time, so appreciate that. Yeah, love it. We're all trying to grow the game. So, <laughs> you know, first things first from all of us, how are you? What are all the feelings and emotions as you're entering, you know, the 2022 MLS season, especially with the reigning Supporter Shield winners, the New England Revolution? And just, I mean, one of our first questions is how much have you seen the league and the sport grow ever since you came into the league in 2009? This is unbelievable. Oh. Oh man, I don't even, I can't even remember how many new franchises are in the league since I've been here for 14 years now, my 14th season. And honestly, there's probably 14 new teams now <laughs> from when I first came in. So you just look at that, you look at the fan bases, the stadiums that have been built, the fan bases that have been built. It's truly incredible. And it's been amazing to, to be here during this whole transition in the in the whole process and see how MLS was in 2009 to see where it is now in 2022. So it's incredible. And I think it's going to continue to grow. And uh, honestly, the, the sky's the limit, I think, for uh, this league and, and its players and fans. Yeah, absolutely, AJ. I mean, we were just out in Charlotte and I know the league's nowhere near done yet. I know they have St. Louis FC coming up next season as well. And yeah, I mean, it's beautiful to see. So definitely appreciate that, AJ. Before we dive into soccer, I know these guys definitely want to talk to you about a bit of your career, but just to take a quick step back before we kind of dive into your career, I wanted to just take it to the beginning. We saw online Mexican dad, Native American mom. Just wanted to ask you, you know, growing up, how supportive were they picking up the game and pursuing the professional career? And if you could just tell us about your time growing up in Maryland, especially also going to the University of Maryland as well. Yeah. So early on, man, I got involved in soccer when I was like four years old and neither of my parents played soccer. They knew nothing about soccer. And, you know, they just kind of put me in there as we all do with our kids, even though we have a love for the game now. My parents didn't, but just to get them active, running around, get them tired before bed, all that kind of thing. And I think at a young age, I think I stood out because I was, you know, small, but fast and fierce at the same time. And then soccer literally became 
a weekly thing for my, my family and I, and it's just kind of took over my life and, and my family's life as well. So, uh, you know, without their support, I, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at. And, you know, thankful to my parents and, you know, even my sister who had to go through all the tournaments and uh, she would have to wake up at 5 a.m. sometimes too, just to make those road trips. So, you know, it was good. Um, my parents helped me push myself as well and getting to that next level and trying to progress and move on to bigger and better teams. You know, there was a, a time in my career where I wasn't making trainings because trainings were 45 minutes away. Uh, my dad would have to drive 50 minutes to pick me up just to turn right back around and, and take me 45 minutes of training. And, and it got to be a lot. And then, you know, after that, I, I left that team and my parents could have been like, you know what, we're done. We're going to come back and, and stay close to home. But instead, they were driving me an hour and a half now. So another commitment, but one that I think really shaped what I would do in the rest of my career and getting to a, a top level team and getting seen by the University of Maryland and, you know, being on one of the best club teams, I think, in the country really helped. And then, you know, I chose to go to University of Maryland because it was close to home and my parents could come to every game. And I think that was probably the, the smartest decision I ever made. <laughs> and then obviously there, there was times in college where tough decisions had to be made. I remember my very first game as a college athlete and the coach said, you know, we want to register you this year. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Having no idea how that season would turn out. Uh, you know, just a, a few weeks later, you know, I was starting. So very big moments in my life I, I had to make when, when I was 17 years old. So thankful for, for the journey and to where it got me. Absolutely, AJ. No, shout out to all the parents out there who, you know, are taking their kids to practice, especially, you know, it's not easy. And, you know, AJ, just fast forwarding a little bit, definitely wanted to talk to you about 2009, the year you got drafted in the second round, 19th overall in the 2009 draft, especially by the LA Galaxy and kind of sticking a little bit with, you know, you being from Maryland. How was that adjustment like going to probably one of the biggest cities in the U.S., L.A., and then also probably the largest team or the most well-known team in the MLS, the L.A. Galaxy? Just what was that adjustment like? And, you know, what was some good advice that you got, you know, in your rookie year that kind of helped you to the rest of your career? Yeah, I got drafted in 2019. And the crazy thing about that was it was in the, the second round because, well, I think there was 15 teams at that time. So 19 was in, in the second round. So it wasn't even on TV. And so I'm sitting there on my computer at my house with my family and my wife at the time was my girlfriend, obviously. Um, and we were like, man, we just want to stay somewhere close in the same time zone would be nice because she was finishing college. And then I got a call from Graham Zussi because we were really good college friends, uh, the best man in my wedding and, and all that. But he called me and he was like, congratulations, man. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I just hit refresh on my computer and I was like, and my name popped up. It was a Chivas USA pick, by the way. And it switched to a galaxy and then I uh, saw my name pop up and it, it couldn't have been the furthest away from Maryland. <laughs> but I think obviously, again, one of the best decisions that could have happened in my life. And the only thing I knew about the galaxy at that time was David Beckham and, and Landon Donovan. And I had no idea that they had come in last place the, the year prior to the 2009. So going there and being able to have an opportunity, one, to prove myself, two, go with Omar Gonzalez, who was a good college teammate and a guy I just got back from his house just now having dinner with him and his family. So still a really close connection with him. And yeah, I think we, we kind of helped each other grow there. In that first year, we both had our ups and downs and, and learning lessons and, and all that. But you know, obviously when I was 21, when I got there and, and now I think about it now, cause I'm 30, I'm 34 now. So the guys that were there when I was 
a rookie, the Tony Sanez, Greg Berhalter, Eddie Lewis, Chris Klein, those guys were well into their 30s, but they weren't playing as often, but they still gave so much knowledge daily to the group and they helped push those younger guys. And, and that's what I'm trying to do now uh, on the res as, as one of the older guys. So if I can continue to push Brandon by Dewan Jones, Kessler, and, and just give these guys just little ins and outs. Uh, but the things I learned in my 13, 14 years, you know, I'm happy to, to try to help and, and for the next generation. So. That's some incredible insight, AJ. And I know Bruce Serena has always tried to have veterans on his team to help lead that next generation. As you mentioned with those Galaxy teams of Chris Klein, Jovan Kervalski, even Greg Berhalter, people forget sometimes. But I know we just touched on your time with Maryland. And you led me perfectly into this next segue because I was looking at that University of Maryland team and a few names stood out, both Graham Zuzzi and Omar Gonzalez. And I was uh, going to ask, what, do you have any maybe good memories that you can share from your college days? And maybe did you ever think that you'd be playing professionally with Omar Gonzalez together for 10 years plus professionally? Yeah, I never thought that would happen. But no, it's it's just crazy to see what, one where Omar and I have, have come from, you know, being in the same house in college to going through all uh, our college days and ups and downs and to now, you know, both having... Uh, multiple kids and I think we have six kids combined now so it's fun just to, to see where we've come and all the best stories are probably ones that, that shouldn't be shared though so uh, they they probably involve drinking uh, at some point but man there's just so many crazy stories we reminisce still like to this day like oh you remember this happening like we'll re- remember a game at, at UNC man Omar had to poop <laughs> and he had we were playing a game and he got taken out and went on the other side of the bench and had to poop <laughs> Uh, he had to come back in and I think it was a, maybe the same game I got my one ever red card in where this dude kind of brought me down I got up and just shoved him back down and got a straight red somehow for that but yeah we still reminisce about our, our college days and the trouble that I won't say we because I don't think I ever got in trouble but <laughs> Graham and Omar got in a lot of trouble <laughs> no go right ahead no, I always question that like what if you have to go like you know I'm sorry <laughs> my meal you know it's just one of those days what do I do? Yeah. Hey, time, you can't call a timeout in soccer. Yeah, but at least in college, you can you can sub, you know, so you know, maybe it's not a, a big, but now you better hold it. You better go before. You better wait till halftime. <laughs> Just go into the game on an empty stomach, man. <laughs> You're about to have some skid marks in there. So yeah, that's, that's, that's something I'm always thinking about, too, wearing all white. Like, man, what if, what if, like... <laughs> You're not hiding it. <laughs> so you just blame it on the slide tackle from the dirt or the grass. Yeah, sorry. yeah on the turf. <laughs> but AJ, six kids, that's like halfway of a soccer team. You guys are halfway yeah. there. And yep. it's no secret that you're now playing under Bruce Arena and you both have had with Omar as well some enormous amount of success. And you as well, just on a personal level, being named Galaxy Defensive Player of the Year in 2012, in 2014 the three MLS Cups, the three Supporters Shields, you know, I could go on with the achievements, you know, you got a, a long list of them. But how yeah. would you say your history together has helped you acclimate to this new Revs team that you're a part of now? And what emotions did you feel knowing that you've etched your name in the Revs history books, helping bring an MLS original, the first trophy in their 26 years? No, you can speak it into existence, I hope. So we need some some good mojo because the way we started this year has been underwhelming from, you know, the way we were last year. And man, I, I really thought we were going to be the first team to, to win CCL. And obviously things didn't go our way. And we know how difficult it is and all the pressures that come with it. 
but man, it, I think it's, it's still, I didn't, I didn't play a huge role last year, but I don't think I, I came here thinking I would be a full-time starter at my age and at a team that the year prior to me coming here was pretty solid defensively. They had a rookie in, in Kessler, very good. Farrell, obviously club legend and very good quality player. You got Brandon Bay, who was already a fixture at the right back position. And then the left back was kind of up in the air, but I think Dewan Jones in preseason last year took it. And, and I, I remember saying it to him last year, I was like, this position is yours. You got to grab a hold of it and keep it. And he did just that. And you see how, how well he's done. So yeah, obviously you want to be on winning teams. And that was the one reason I came to New England because the year prior, they were good, made a good run in the playoffs. But I know I saw something in them that you want to be a part of those winning teams. I think it, it just better for you psychologically, you know, on the field, off the field, when you get home, you know, when I was at other teams when either I wasn't playing or we weren't winning, you know, it, it bothers you really on and off the field. You don't just get home and and not think about it. Uh, you get home and maybe I'm fighting with my wife or I'm a little irritable with my kids or just sad, upset, whatever it may be. So, you know, in my last couple of years, I really want to enjoy playing, enjoy winning and really try to win another ring while I'm at it. So and, and hopefully we can turn this ship around this year and get back on track with that starting this weekend. So. It's awesome stuff. And sometimes I think people forget that those results and those teams sometimes do go into like the personal life as well. You know, people just think that it's a player. He just plays and that's the end of it. So that's some incredible insight again, AJ. And just to touch on your international career, which I think is pretty interesting because back when I was a young U.S. national team supporter, I always envisioned you and Omar pairing in a World Cup and leading us to the promised land. And, Imagine uh, that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be crazy. I'm half of it came through. He, he appeared in a World Cup. <laughs> and just something that caught my attention, you did have two successful appearances with the national team, winning against Venezuela and Panama, respectively. And then you had the Guam national team reach out to you. And I think you were trying to help them win that East Asian Cup back in 2014. And you even beat India for Guam's second ever World Cup qualifying win. Pretty historic. So just curious, how did that international experience help in your club career? And what lessons can you learn from coaches like Gary White and Darren Swatowski, who's in the USL League One, and Carl Dodd? Yeah, well, first of all, I with the US, I, I got caught into, I think, four camps those January, they called them what cupcake camp or whatever it was. Nah, those are my favorite camps, honestly, you get all the MLS talent together. So hey, it was just all MLS talent. And, you know, I look back and I think about it. And, you know, I got called in by, you know, Bob Bradley and Jurgen Klinsmann. And I think that was a honor itself for one to just to see how they valued me. But when I think when I got there, you know, I was playing center back for the most part in my early, earlier years in the league. And, you know, when you, you make that jump to the international level, the game's a lot faster. Everybody around you is maybe a, a lot better, a lot quicker, a lot smarter. So, you know, I was playing center back, but then at the international stage, I was asked to play right back. And it was just not something I was that comfortable with. That's just not the position I grew up playing or it's not the position I played in college or much uh, at the Galaxy even so, so until later in my years. But I think I, I struggled a little bit. And then I found my myself way down the, the pecking order to where I wasn't going to make a real impact except in those January camps. And for me, it was like, do I stay here and do that? Or do I go and try to help Guam and kind of be like 
somebody these young kids can look up to and help grow the game there and the island and you know, help the team. Because, you know, before I was there, they were telling me stories like we were just hoping to not lose by more than 10 goals. So for my mindset, is like I never thought like that. So uh, just to change the mindset of the players to now be like, OK, we can compete with these other countries. We can beat India, who has billions of, of population. And I think we'd be Turkmenistan and India in the same window. And we had two wins to start World Cup qualifying. And I don't think we had another win after that, though, unfortunately. And we struggled. But, you know, I, I think it, it brought a lot of attention, I think, to the players on the team to know the standard for one. And uh, I think the, the younger generation, I, I was in Guam and there was a lot of kids in, in Galaxy jerseys because that's where I was playing at the time. And, you know, even when I was in Laos, Cambodia, I found people in the streets in Galaxy jerseys and it was just crazy. And I remember taking pictures with random people that had no idea who I was, but they had these Galaxy jerseys probably from when Landon Donovan went on his sabbatical. He <laughs> Maybe he was passing out jerseys. I don't know. But you know, I was taking pictures and this story blew up, you know, just seeing Galaxy fans maybe on the other side of the, of the world. So, you know, yeah, and I think you learn something from every coach everywhere you play. And Gary White, you know, specifically, obviously, is who got me to come commit to Guam because he was persistent. He called me every damn day. And my wife, she's commenting right now. She's like, I hated him. <laughs> uh, no, she didn't say that. But during the time she hated him because he would she he would call me every day, be like, hey man, can you come play? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I can't make that commitment yet. Like I'm trying to see where I stand with the US team. And you know, eventually I did it just to, like I said, just help that country and, and grow the game of, of soccer and just to make a, a lasting impression on the youth. But yeah, back to those coaches, they all have something different. I think Gary White was very persistent and you know you have coaches that are very tactical and, and coaches that can motivate you and I, I think you get a couple of pieces from everybody and I, I think it all helped me grow but the the level obviously I was playing with the Galaxy and we were the top of the league for you know four or five years in a row and it was tough to go to Southeast Asia and play on fields that were like cement or I don't know, feels when you were a little kid, the ball, you can't even trap the ball because it's bouncing from all the turf and all that. And then you got these referees and it was just, it was doing my head in sometimes. And then every time I would come back hurt. And that's kind of when I knew it was time for me to retire from that because literally some travel times were 36 hours when I would leave my house to when I would get to my hotel in, in Asia and, uh, you know, then coming back here. Well, then I would go there and play the very next day so I would get in at 10 o'clock at night and then have to play a game at 5 6 p.m the next day and you know I would come back hurt and then it would affect what I do for with the Galaxy and, and Houston and you know I knew I, I need to focus on the teams that paid me honestly because I feel like I, I owed it to them to stay healthy and yeah but a, a very good experience yeah that's some incredible stuff because I'm guessing Guam doesn't exactly like you mentioned doesn't have the biggest soccer scene you know, so you definitely, I think, helped just inspire a lot of people just to play the game. That's just beautiful, in my opinion. Oh, AJ, thank you for touching on that. And we try to, like, touch on the mental aspect of the game. And, and that's really cool that you kind of changed that mentality over there. So that's really awesome. AJ, I wanted to ask you very quick, kind of trying to keep it in chronological order. 2017, you went to Houston Dynamo. A friend of the show that we've had on before, Coach Wilmer Cabrera, who's been around the game, he mentioned for over 30 years. I wanted to ask you, you know, what, it, what was it like playing under, under Coach Wilmer? When he came on our show, he talked about how much he really cares for his players and how he much re he really wants to take his players to the next level in regards to talent. So I wanted to ask you, you know, how, how influential was Coach Wilmer? Because he seemed like an awesome guy when he came on our show. Yeah, I was thankful for my my time there. You know, obviously I left the Galaxy in a tough way. But after a couple of days, I was like, you know what, this is a 
a new opportunity to go somewhere else and, and get some more playing time and in a new city and and start fresh and you know I was up for the challenge and then uh, you know I remember the, the first day walking into the woman's office having a talk with him and he was like the right back spot is, is for you so uh, that was the the first time in my career where I felt like I was in one spot every day training and getting that consistency over and over again. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and speaking about Wilmer and having the, the tactical and motivational, I, I think he was a very good motivational coach because he would get after you. So you didn't want to mess up. <laughs> you didn't want to mess up because he, he was going to let you know. And, and yeah, I think we all had a, a, a very good 2017 year. You know, we had a lot of new fresh guys in Houston who all wanted to make a name for themselves and, and we did I think we came in what fourth that that year in, in 2017 after they had come in last place I think for three or four years prior to that and then I think we made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals so a very good year and then after that obviously I tore my ACL the last game of the season that year missed the playoffs and missed all of 2018 except for the last four games and yeah I think a, t a tough time after that 2017 year, though, I think for the team. And uh, unfortunately, the results weren't great. We won the Open Cup in 2018, but uh, we missed out on the playoffs and then 2019 as well. So thankful for, for every coach that I've had. And it's just crazy to see how different they all are, like tactically, emotionally, how they lead, how angry some of them get. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for, for them all, uh, no matter good or bad. No, that's awesome, AJ. Thank you for all that. Uh, you know, one other guest we had on our show, I think one of your colleagues at the New England Revolution, our former NYCFC guy, Tommy Mack, who's a player that I really look up to as well. And AJ, I bring him up because, you know, he talked about Bruce Arena, how he puts players in positions where they can succeed. And as a colleague of Tommy's, I wanted to ask you as well, you know, maybe what are some examples that Bruce Arena does, like where, where Tommy mentioned, you know, he knows he gets to know his players and he puts them in positions where they can succeed. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that as well. Yeah, you think about it. Well, in L.A. and here, Bruce was the GM and the head coach. So there's not two different guys working or battling each other. This is Bruce making the calls, Bruce bringing in the guys that, that he wants and the guys that he believes in that can help his teams. And I think when you have that, when you're here, I think he lets you play freely. And I think that's a, a good thing. I think he's a very good man manager. So like I said, he he can manage players very well. And I think he gets the most out of his players. I, I think Sebastian, you know, said it best the other day. I don't know what it is, but he, he gets a lot out of Sebastian and brings out that confidence back when you have someone that, that believes in you. It, it really does change your mindset. And uh, I, I think we've seen a Sebastian that has scored quite a few goals already this year for us and is going to continue to grow in this team. And yeah, I think what Tommy's saying, too, is very true that he puts guys in the right position to succeed. So he's not asking too many guys to play out of positions. Uh, I think it's the biggest part. And if you are a, a six, you know, this is your spot. So do it and do it well. I'll, I'll let you make your own choices on the field, but also being able to collaborate after and, and discuss why you made such decisions <laughs> good or bad so yeah i used to hate that when the you know when the coach go the last five minutes no i'm a bench player i want to stay on the bench you know you know don't tell me what position to play i'm staying on the bench you know i always no i'm just kidding <laughs> so i had a kid do that in college <laughs> no i said i heard a, a kid did that in college uh at maryland coach asked him to play the last minute and he was like no i'm not a i'm not a one minute player and he sat on the bench <laughs> I don't think he ever played again. So. Oh man, that's it. You know. 
That's Rav's. AJ, you know, <laughs> you know, you've been praised over the course of your career, you know, as a great defender, both by, you know, players and coaches and, you know, versatile enough to play either position in the back four. I'm curious in your own perspective, you know, what makes a good defender? And, you know, as you get older, do some of those traits change? Do you have to value one over the other? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is being able to communicate. And I learned that. I won't say I learned that at a young age, but I learned it quick because I grew up playing center back since I was 14 years old. So being able to communicate, I was a very shy person also. So off the field, very quiet. But on the field, I knew I had to communicate. And and that's something I'm still trying to teach these young players now is sometimes it's a little too quiet out there. Like we have to communicate. It helps you. It helps the players in front of you, helps the midfield and everyone just to, to stay engaged. Sometimes it's literally just shouting someone's name and, and then being alert. So I think that's that's the biggest thing. The next one is, is obviously being able to read the game. I think obviously having played central defender since I was 14 years old. So I don't even know how old that's 20 years now. Dang, <laughs> 20 years, you know, you kind of read tendencies after a few years. So you know what's coming, kind of reading body language of the opposing team. And yeah, and then being able to change from position to position, it is really tough. And if it was easy, I think a, a lot more guys would be doing it. But uh, it, it's tough to, to change that mindset to now think, now I'm a center back. Now I'm on the left. Now I'm on the right. I think in one week in LA, I played four different positions in the same week. Uh, I think here in New England last year, I think that probably happened. I played three positions in one game. So yeah, just being able to be versatile, I think helped my career as well. And just getting on the field. And, and that's at the end of the day, that's all I want to do is, is be on the field and, and be able to help and, and learn. And if I could tell any young kid now, it's just be able to be versatile and be able play different positions but do them all very well too don't just be okay and want to try all of them but be good and lock them all down because they're all the same in a sense but mentally they're different sides of the field so just gotta like i said at the end of the day read the game and, and do it well that's some great stuff aj you just said the word that was the key word versatile i think that would define your career like in a nutshell you know you literally played everywhere along that back line and being a veteran of the league you did have a chance to play for Inter Miami in their inaugural season. And I'm just a little curious, how did that differ from all the other destinations that you've had a chance to play in? And maybe some things that stood out to you for a team that's trying to make waves in a new market. And just how was that switch from sunny Miami to cold New England? Because I do know that you just mentioned that snow game before, you know, like having to play in the snow in the Champions League and stuff. So how has that change gone for you? And how was that experience in Miami? Yeah, I remember in 2019, I heard of the possibility of possibly going to Miami at the, in 2020, and I was excited about it to be able to, obviously, I played with David Beckham, but to now him wanting me to come be on his team for the inaugural season, I think was huge. And just a change of scenery, not much of a scenery because it was hot as hell in Houston and hot as hell in Miami, but I wish I had more time in Miami for one playing wise and living wise because I think that was a place that I could live after I was done playing and raise our family and all that and now that I'm out of there I'm like man it was hot there and now I'm here in the snow and I'm like damn it's cold here so I gotta find a balance but yeah I think it was a very odd year obviously 2020 was odd for everybody you know we had this team we had a roster but we had no head coach and then we had a head coach and He's going to want to bring in the guys that, that he wants and kind of push, I think, the, the rest of us guys who grew up in MLS kind of to the side a little bit. And the, the players he wanted, I, I hadn't played for 
man, I don't even know. Like my first conversation with our coach was probably at the end of the season. And I was like, like, what can I do better here to to get on the field? Cause I wasn't, I hadn't played one minute and he was like, nothing. He was like, you do everything really well. You're good at this. You're good at this. You're good at this. And he was like, I just want a center back who's fast and strong. And I was like, well, what am I doing here then? So if that's the, the only reason. So, but then a couple of weeks later, I was starting because of injuries or cards, or I think when I did get a chance, I did well with it. And unfortunately, at the end of the year, they, they made a, a lot of changes. And yeah, I, again, I wanted to come to a team that was winning and I don't know, enjoy life off the field uh, as well, on the field as well. And, and I think being back with Bruce was, was going to give me that best opportunity. But, you know, people ask me, what was my favorite place to play? I just wish I had more time in Miami. And, and that was that was it, just because 2020 uh, wasn't fair for anybody. And I would love to see it uh, in the regular year. <laughs> I mean, your, your kids probably love the snow. I saw the Elsa impression from your daughter, and it was just, I loved it. It was I was like, no, that's spot on. That, that's mini Elsa. I, was, I saw your Twitter, and I was like, oh, man. I know they got to love the snow. Yeah, no, they do love it. But I don't love it no more because it's cold, cold. After our game against Salt Lake, that was the craziest experience of my life. AJ, just one of my uh, last questions. So, you know, over the last few years, MLS, you know, we spoke about it earlier. It's just grown exponentially. And, you know, with growth comes more stars, more competitions. It's more competitive, of course. You know, what have been some of the best forwards you've come up against? And, you know, any memorable matches you can think of? Oh, man. In MLS specifically, it's not fair because when I was at the Galaxy, man, we played Barcelona, I think, four or five times. Real Madrid, four or five times. Inter Milan, Juve. You got to give us MLS and outside of MLS. I love it. I want to hear both sides now. (laughs) Man, for me, in MLS, I always struggled with over six foot forwards, man, because obviously I'm only 5'8", 5'9", and at the end of the day, you put a ball up, a 50-50 ball, I'm I'm probably not going to win it. So, you know, I remember going against Alan Gordon and Steven Linhart and Chris Wondolowski. It's just like all three of them fools all at the same time. And that's when San Jose, when their goonies never die, saying, you know, they were coming back late in games, just dumping balls into those fools. And it was, you know, just me trying to battle with six, four dudes. And, and I think those gave me the biggest problems. It was, you know, I wasn't worried about back in my younger days. I wasn't worried about anybody fast. I was worried about the, the, the tall players and ones who just playing kicking balls on and, and all that. So but I think Alan Gordon gave me my, my biggest problems in MLS. And out of MLS, man, just, just I think playing against Ronaldinho was probably the craziest thing because his quads were bigger than my entire body and like the man would just hold the ball and just like stiff arm me like hold up kid like I was 21 years old fresh out of college and and this man was he was a beast obviously I think one of the best players I ever played against and I don't know I think he was probably was going out at night in preseason in LA so thankfully he wasn't doing all these step overs and trying to make me and all that during the game so so what I'm hearing is that uh, even a half-party Ronaldo, Ronaldinho can still just bring it. It's insane. You always love the the Ga- Ronaldinho Gaucho, man. Gotta love him. Yeah, and... uh, it's crazy. I got I have photos and just, you know, you remember those games forever. And I think he even posted a photo of us one time, too. So, uh, and then all my boys tagged me in it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Did good you get time. To swap jerseys? That's uh, another another quick one. No, Any jersey I, swaps for, that, for that, game? that game I swapped with, I think it was another, a younger player as well. 
but Abate, I don't know how you say his name. Okay, Abate, yeah. he was outside yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, mm-hmm. at Milan. So I think he played on the national team too. So back yeah, when I was younger though, I was too embarrassed to switch jerseys. And you know, I think Josie Altador mentioned the other day, he was telling some younger kids on our team, he was like, switch jerseys every chance you get because at the end of your career, you, you'll have these keepsake things that you'll remember and be able to pass down to your, your kids and all that. So I wish I did that earlier in my career. I still have quite a bit now, but you know, I wish I did that against those Barcelonas and Real Madrids and those those teams. So you just mentioned something that you can give for the kids after soccer. And just curious, what is life after soccer for AJ De La Garza? Maybe some coaching, maybe some commentary. I know something about a clothing line. I don't even know, man. <laughs> it's a, I'm trying to, I, obviously I did my coaching license, U.S. soccer coaching license, the B course, just something to fall back on. That's a possibility. I just want to do something that that's stable for my family. Uh, my kids are obviously starting school. My six-year-old daughter's now been in four different states. So it, it's tough. You know, we want to be settled. And whether that's in the game or outside of the game, you know, I, I would be up for anything. Freaking making cabinets for my house right now. So I don't know, maybe I do that after <laughs> I'm done. And then Another thing is I'm actually going to be working at the World Cup with a friend in Qatar at the end of this year. So maybe an opportunity to learn and, and to, to network and meet you know quite a few people out there. So looking forward to that and having something on my resume besides MLS soccer player for 14 years. <laughs> no, nah, it's much more than that. But congratulations on that gig. That must be pretty exciting, man. It's Qatar World yeah. Cup, biggest yeah. age. It'll be it'll be fun. Uh, AJ, no, we want to say thank you so much for your time. AJ, I, I had my last question before we wrap it up for the night. Like I just mentioned, you know, life after soccer. I know like in soccer, when you're in your 30s, you're you're getting considered old, but definitely far from that because I know we're the same age. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what's been your secret to just longevity? You know, I know you had that ACL injury that you mentioned in Houston, but just how have you been taking care of your body ever since? And just kind of, you know, what's what's a typical game day like for you in regards to just taking care of your body, stretching, anything like that that you could share? Man, when I was younger, it was my wife would tell you when I was playing in a regular starter, it was don't talk to me on game day. Don't bother me. I'm not leaving the house. I'm laying on the couch. I'm, she would say, why are you paralyzed? Like you can't do nothing. Like now I got to be fresh. And now it's obviously I'm not playing as much. And man, I'll go cut the grass before a game. <laughs> like it's just different. Uh, <laughs> I'm just wired different now. You know, I got kids and I, I got things I got to take care of, uh, honestly. So, you know, but but back then, you know, it was a routine. It was I feel like all you do on game days is eat. You eat breakfast, you eat lunch, you eat pregame and then you go play at seven o'clock at night. Uh, and then you eat after that, too, or you go out for drinks with your boys. So a lot of eating. But I, I think at my age now, knock on wood, man, I, I've missed one day of training in the last or since I've been at the revolution. Knock, I need to find some wood for real. Uh, you know, just uh, obviously I'm not playing as much, so not as much strain on my body, but, you know, just being in the gym and, and doing those stretches, the workouts that, that they give us daily uh, is obviously very big. And when you're feeling something, getting it taken care of ASAP and, and not letting something linger for a period of time. Oh, that's awesome stuff, AJ. AJ, we want to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on our show. I mean, we're in New York City, but we'll be rooting you on. And like, you know, we wish you all the best of luck with the New England Revolution a super legitimate contender in the East. And uh, yeah, man, wishing you all the best. And we hope to see you in New York when you're around. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That was the interview with AJ De La Garza. Oh, man, what a heck of an interview. AJ, thank you so much for being on with us. 
Vas, let me throw it to you real quick, man. I know you were on with me for AJ. What you think of AJ De La Garza, man? Bro, first of all, I remember AJ De La Garza getting drafted by the Galaxy back in 09. You know, so it makes me feel a little old, but definitely still surreal that I get to interview these guys, you know, like week in, week out. People who I've been like looking at on the on the screen, you know, for the better part of like 10 plus years. So it was an amazing interview. And I think for any of the listeners who are going to be able to listen to what he has to say, it's both inspiring, but also hilarious. He had some great, you know, locker room stories with guys like Omar Gonzalez that just you, you don't want to miss it. It's some good stuff. Appreciate it. Christian, anything you want to say before we get out of here, man? Yes, of course. Well, first of all, thank you to Matt, my brother. I mean, all these years, we always stay in touch and you're doing wonderful things with your podcast. You're doing wonderful things in general. And it was a pleasure to talk soccer, especially the Rebels today, man. And thank you to everyone who gets a chance to listen to this episode. Shout out to John also from Pitchside Pod, who I saw yesterday and Kevin and all the great people from the New York Rebels fan base. I think they're just amazing. We got some photos. We got some videos. We're small, but we're probably the best fans in MLS. Uh, sorry, Charlotte. Sorry, Austin. You guys can bring a million. The few, the better. Uh, we 26 are- years of suffering, bro. 26 years plus suffering. Like, you, you know, can there's, you can't match that faithfulness. Like, I'm sorry. People want to talk about these new teams like Atlanta. Oh, we got the biggest numbers. Like, nah, man. Go through adversity. And if you're still there, call yourself a fan because we've gone through plenty, man. I wanted to just touch on a little bit of one last note on that US Open Cup match. So credit to Mark Fishkin for his tweet. But RBNY dealt NYCFC their first loss in 13 games. Crazy stat. Put three past NYCFC, which hadn't happened since 424 for them. NYCFC had... U.S. Open Cup games that yeah ended an aggregate of eight to zero against us, not scoring a single goal, and we've outscored our opposition twelve to four in the last five games. That's just insane, crazy little stat. I'm sorry, guys, but take it away. I just needed to rub the salt a little bit more before we stop the the episode. <laughs> yeah, no, appreciate it. And now, uh, Matt, um, we want to say thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, definitely. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, if you could just shout out your handles, man, for the Metro Bulls podcast. Appreciate you having you on, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like I said, you guys are upper echelons of soccer podcast, so I appreciate having me on, shaking the old rust off of myself, getting on, talking soccer. Always great. Anytime you need me to fill, which probably will never happen again because you guys get all these top-notch guys, but if you ever do, I'm always around. Metro Bulls podcast, you can follow it on Twitter, Instagram, and that's about it. You guys keep doing your thing. You guys are doing great things. Keep spreading that passion for the beautiful game. Right back at you, brother. Right back at you. Appreciate it, man. No, definitely we'll have you back on again, man. It won't be the last time our two teams meet, so absolutely. And, yeah, I just want to say a quick thank you to to Matt for, for joining us. A huge thank you to AJ De La Garza, an amazing interview. We hope the fans loved it. We'll be back next week for episode 65. I can't believe I'm saying 65 halfway through our 60s. We'll be keeping an eye out for the upcoming MLS games, and we're already ha- halfway through the season. So thank you guys for everything. We'll see you guys next week. Be safe and have a good one. Thank <laughs> you.